Well, g'day everyone. Welcome to the podcast. This is Talking Luft. I'm Mitch Stocker, and this podcast is being brought to you by Rafa, our partner. Now, Rafa's mission is not only to make great kit, which they do, it is to make cycling the most popular sport in the world. And I'm enjoying working with them, not only on the bike, but in this podcast as well, because I feel like that's what we're doing. We're educating everyone about this great sport, cycling. This is Talking Wolf, like I said, and this week we've got Matt Goss in a pretty original Talking Wolf. We're running through all those favorite questions that you love. If you don't know who Matt Goss is, he's from Launceston, Tasmania. He's about the same age as me. We grew up together in the juniors. We raced on the track together and we raced overseas together as well. He was professional for 10 years. He started out on the track and he won a world championships in the team's pursuit when he was just 18 years old. When he was 20 years old, he turned professional with CSC. And back in those days, that was young. I know it doesn't sound that young these days, but he was so young. In his first year, he won the Triple T with CSC in Eindhoven. When they used to have that event in Eindhoven, it was like almost like a world championship team's time trial with nine men. I found that so hard to believe. I didn't even know that about Gossi, that in his first year, one of the hardest disciplines, they threw him into that and he won that with CSC. In 2010, he moved across to HCC where he won a stage of the Giro and then went on to win GP Pluay, a prestigious race at the end of the year. And in 2011, he went on to win Milan San Remo. After that, in 2012, the new Australian team started Green Edge. That's where we came together and Gossi and I are on the same team there. He won another stage of the Giro and he remained there for three more years before moving to MTN Quebeca and finally finishing his career with the British team, One Pro Cycling. What a career, San Remo in the bank. Plus, Gossi is just a great guy. I loved racing with him as a junior. And then of course, when we were together back in Green Edge, I don't get to see him as much these days, but when we're over in Adelaide, he popped along to the communique, as you heard last month in that episode of Talking Luft, but I grabbed him for an extra little interview and we did a full Talking Luft with Gossi. Guys, sit back and enjoy this. I know you guys love the Talking Luft. It's a bit of a laugh. If it's the first time you've listened to it, I hope you can sit back and enjoy it. Guys, without further ado, I bring you Gossi talking a bit of Luft. Talking Luft is just a bunch of silly questions. I've got a bunch of silly answers. Great. You ready? <laughs> well, the first question is, as everyone knows here, caps, caskets, capolinos, mini cycling caps. How do you wear yours? What is your style? Do you wear it forwards? Do you wear it backwards? Brim up, brim down? Give us a look. Give us a look. Uh, that's a tough one, actually, because I, I think I've been through a few phases in my career. Well, my previous career of doing it, but... um, Run us through. Yeah, go on. I'm more of a Mitch for this one, I reckon. Yeah, nice. High, forward, front, up. Perfect. Great. I reckon that's, I reckon that's me. That's the style, yeah. There has been a few um, reverse ones, but they're probably more when you've got to put the helmet on, you're, like, you're not focusing on the hat itself. Like. And always with a bit of luft? Absolutely. Did you ever talk to Bjarne about his luft? Because he had ultimate <laughs> luft. <laughs> he wasn't one for a bit of a joke around, old Bjarne. He was probably a bit more straight shooter than that. Yeah. And if I, I asked him why his hat was like that, he probably would have gave me some spiel that um, was more about me training more. Yeah. So I kind of avoided it. Next question. If you could have raced back in the day without a helmet, what style would you have done? Would you have worn like a, 
a snag helmet? Would you have just done a cap? Would you have just let the hair go? Would you have, what would you have done? What your style headband? Well, it's funny actually. When I first turned pro, like the helmets have obviously been introduced. Well, not introduced, they were mandatory. We used to have our team photos and our team cards and stuff with no helmets on. So, like my first team cards with CSE are riding up some canyon in California with no helmet on. Like if you did that now, it would be crazy. But what did you decide to go with that day? Just the the the, um, the afro that I kind of <laughs> used to rock a little bit back in the day, Mitch, as you know. But uh, it's crazy. I've like, been a sprinter. You'd be pretty nuts. Like I used to train without a helmet, which nowadays I would never do. But it was just what everyone was doing at the time. But being a sprinter, you, you want something at least, even if it's small, between your noggin and the ground. Even if it's a yeah a leather helmet, you know they didn't do anything, but it felt better. I, I can imagine. Yeah, you see the six days riders and all those type of things wearing those. Um, well, it, it's it's not going to do a lot, is it? Like it, it's it's a great in theory, but um, no, I think if you're going to do it, you do it properly. Do you still shave your legs? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> do you like to wear X Pro kit or do you like to wear that new wave stuff? It's one of the things when you're a pro, you've got everything thrown at you. You've got glasses, you've got like kit, you've got bikes, everything. You still want to look somewhat professional if you go out on the bike but i i i avoid the the team kit you know i'm i'm more of an all black person because you used to race at 70 kilos and that's not a thing anymore so black's a wonderful color do you have an old pro kit still there is some there somewhere i see more people riding around launceston in my old pro kit than i wear but no i i um i have some but i i still ride around the old uh helmets and things every now and then but no i in a suitcase deep in the closet Let's talk about bikes now. I forgot to explain this at the start. I've split this up into four sectors. Style, bikes, culture, and about you. RMG. Road bike, mountain bike, or gravel bike? One bike forever. What would it be? Road bike. I, I caught up with the guys from Factor the other day, actually, and they're like, you know, we'll give you a road bike, give you a gravel bike. I'm like, I appreciate the offer, guys, but I ride one bike every now and then. I don't need two. So I think road bike, like... If I'm going to go and do something, that's what I like, enjoy. Um, the mountain bike's fun, and Tassie's amazing for mountain biking. You've got everything there. But um, no, I think the road bike's the one for me, mate. Social bunch or hour of power when you go out riding? I don't go social anymore, mate, because everyone drops me. So I try and avoid that a bit more. And everyone wants to race you. You know what it's like. You know, if you've been a pro, you, you, you come back and ride a bunchy, everyone gains 10% of their power, and they're like, they put you under the limit. So I, I don't want to go and suffer and be so, dealt a, a hand that I don't want to be playing. So yeah, no, absolute hour of power. Do you have a Strava account? Yes. Do you do you do you hunt comms? No. <laughs> do you have a fra- favorite training loop? Like somewhere out there, it could be back in Monaco, could be you know in Tassie, where all these places you've been. Could be something you did over in the US. One loop that you just love, and explain the loop to us. You know, tell us a little bit about it because people are going to know that loop. I think coming from Tasmania, there's 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 a famous loop that everyone does down there, and you know, Richie probably did it more than anyone. But there's a Scottsdale loop. You do it; it's hard. It's only about 140, 150 k's, but it's brutal. You know, the roads are dead. It's you're not riding on uh, hot mixes. It's like this nasty bitumen. You, you're creeping around and. 140 k's, you head out of town, it's steep, it's nasty, so you're suffering straight away. Rolls the whole time, and you come up over the sidling, which is one of the bigger climbs in the north of Taz there. And it's a no- notorious for having a big headwind back into town. So you, Back you know, into Lonnie. Back into Lonnie, yeah. yeah. So that that's one of the ones. And, you know, you, you'd start your training after the off-season, and you'd, you'd 
do some small loops first, but as you got towards the end of your your preseason training, this is the one you did. This is where you you went out and you did laps of that like two or three times a week because that's what gave you the the fitness and the form to come to these races and to start your pro or to start the season. How long is it? It's about one forty five, one fifty. Did I hear that Richie once did two laps? There is a couple of shortcuts in it, but yeah, he's done it. He did it twice. That's why he was on the podium of the tour, and I won the sprint races. <laughs> a rider comes towards you. Are you a wave guy? A simple, you know, nod gesture? What's your... What do you do? Are you just nothing? You just like, no, I'm not nothing. No, you, you're not nothing. It, it's it's a respect thing, isn't it? Like, everyone's out on the road doing the same thing as you. So you, you enjoy it. You appreciate that somebody's out there suffering like you are. <laughs> so, no, it's 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 like the old car thing, isn't it? Like, if you see somebody in the same car, you pop the finger up. You're, hey, mate, how are you? Like, yeah, I'm not sitting there waving as they go past, but it's like a, hey, mate, how are you? Appreciate what you're doing. <laughs> Your best bike of all time, that one bike that you go, you know, it may not be the fastest, whatever, but just something you go, I just love that bike. That bike that, what, I don't know, the best bike for you of all time. That's a tough one, actually. Um, It wasn't my favourite bike, but I guess it's got more memories. And the way it came out was the the Specialised, the Venge, when it first came out. The first race that we did on the Venge was San Remo in 2011. And they gave a couple of bikes to each team that was riding Specialised at the time. And they released that bike that day and then to win San Remo later that day on the same bike, you know, it was pretty cool. And I went across the line. I, I said to the team, I said, I'm keeping that bike. It had done 298 Ks. I'm like, that goes in the truck. It doesn't get used again. But Specialized actually said, we want that bike to go back in their headquarters in California. So we had one spare frame because it was Cav, Renshaw, myself that rode it that day. And then we had one spare frame. So I took that bike home from the race at the end of the day. And then Bob Stapleton... He built up the extra frame and sent it back to Specialized. Said, "Yep, this is a bike he rode." So they think they've got it hanging up in their their offices in California. But um, I've actually got it in the garage collecting dust. <laughs> well, that was sort of the same question. What bikes have you kept from your career? Um, that one, that one. No, I I've actually kept. I basically kept a bike from every year I was pro. Wow. So right, I've got my first professional bike in 2006. I went to the training camp with CSC, and we got given our first bike. So I've got that bike in the garage. I've got all probably, but maybe three or four bikes from when I was racing. But I also kept the bikes from the big races I won. So the Scott Foil was a um, prototype they bought out at GP Pluway, and I, I, I actually was fortunate enough to win that race. So got that one. We had special bikes built for. They actually built four special bikes for the Olympics for the Green Edge guys, and one got broken in Paris after the tour. One got, no, sorry, one got stolen in Paris after the tour. One got broken, and I've got one of those ones still there. So there's a there's a handful of bikes, but it's quite cool to sit there and look in your garage and you see the first bike I had was an aluminium Cervelo with the old dual race levers with the cables coming out of them to finish with a factor that's, you know, split down tube, all this random stuff. So I, I'm not sure the actual number. I think there's about 10 or 12 bikes in the garage. Nice, I love that. And Stewie's got a big collection too, I know. Um, let's talk culture now. Favourite race of all time. Maybe the race you've done, maybe a race you never got to do. Roubaix. And as I mean, you know... It's, I can't it's, believe you said that. Didn't yeah. you were going to say that? No. Like, there's been two races in in my career that, that give you goosebumps, I guess. And to come into Roubaix at the finish of Roubaix, my first one was in 2009. It actually got split up everywhere. We didn't even know what we were racing for. But we kept catching people, catching people. We come into the velodrome and I was the only guy that had probably done track cycling and we finished on a track and I got caught on the outside of the bunch riding around the top of the, the fence and we were sprinting for 10th place that day 
and I finished about 30th because there was 20 in the group and I was the, the muppet that stuffed it up. Um, the tracky. Yeah, the tracky that had all the experience but was cross-eyed. That and the Tour de France, you know, the, the Tour de France is the Tour de France. It's amazing. And, you know, you come in through the tunnel before you pop up, turn left and then right onto the Champs-Élysées. Um, as you enter the tunnel, it's still pretty quiet. As you go through the tunnel and come out, you can just hear the roar of everyone sitting there on the finish line and to come out and do your first Tour de France and to come around that corner, literally, you know, you're racing flat out, but there was goosebumps on your arms. So those two for me, even though it's not a race of one, I think, but like, they're the ones that made you feel like this is something special. That's perfect. That's exactly what I was talking about. Favorite rider of all time. That's a, that is a, you've, they're, they're good ones. They're good ones. I don't know. I guess... It doesn't, it's not the people you raced against because they're competitors at the time. So for me, I think a, a favorite cyclist has to be somebody as I grew up watching and inspires you and tries to get you into the, the sport a little bit. But being the type of rider I was and the type of races I wanted to win, um, it's hard to go past somebody like, oh, if you go way back, you go Chippo. Like Chippo, like whatever he's done now. But at the time, but I'm a massive Chippo fan. Yeah, at yeah, the time, like you know, he's somebody who's entertaining. He had all these different skin suits and different things for every race. And like you watch that, and you're like, that's cool. But in terms of a rider that I think is when I was growing up, what I watched is free air. You know, like the to win three world championships, to win the races that I wanted to win and to be part of and to be winning. He's somebody pretty special. But again, I watched Stewie and Robbie and these guys racing, and they're the ones that got you into it because. They're in Australia. They're here. They're people that you you can go and watch a race and see. One rider, I said, Oscar Ferrer. Yeah, let's go with him. Just not, yeah, just because there's a crossover. There's a crossover between like when you start racing and then the race with that person. And Zabul's the same a little bit. Like you, you watch this guy on TV doing phenomenal things, and then you get to share a peloton with somebody like that. Favorite rider right now? They're all so young. I don't know. Like all the old guys, like could be an old one still hanging in there. Clarky. Yeah, Clarkie, one of our old mates. Yeah. Yeah. Did some junior worlds in about 2003 or four? Yeah, four. Yeah, four. Uh, but to be honest, I was super impressed and like super happy for him. And I was just straight on the phone when he won the stage of the tour last year because, as you know, he's one of the hardest working guys and like we, you know, Sparky, all the things like. But he, <laughs> he's one of the most professional guys and he's somebody that's, he does live and breathe it. He loves it. Um, for a favorite rider right now, I, I, I don't really know. I don't know. All right, one. have a think about this. This is a war story. Everyone's got one of these, and typically they come out of the Giro. That one loves producing great war stories, that race. But it could just be a, a training ride. could be a Roubaix. could be anything. What are one of those days you just go, oh, that bloody day? All right, I've actually got a good one for this. There's probably two. One is from the Giro, but one was from San Remo in the years... Uh, oh, yeah. It was. Here we go. So we, we started in, I think it was 2010 with HTC. And we started the, well, we started Milan San Remo. And um, you go through the Tokino, which is up about 100K. So that's the first test for everyone. You go through the Tokino. It's the first climb. It's about 10 or 11K. It's not super steep. It's early in the race. It's not important. But there was a big crash in the middle of the tunnel at the top. So it completely blocked the road. And about 50 or 60 people went away. So we come through the other side of the tunnel and we're like two minutes down because it was completely blocked so there was we we're riding for cav that year and we had to like we had to chop off full gas until there was another climb called la Magna, which is slightly shorter a bit harder a bit steeper and on the other side is a feed zone so we chopped off full gas full gas there's all the hcc team like because we'd all missed it went up the climb come down the other side we'd all been dropped by that point because we rode to that point so you've done 100 k's of riding come down and we thought oh well, the feed zone's here We'll be able to jump in the cars. We got to the feed zone. They'd already gone. <laughs> so from that point, it's still another 100K 
until San Remo. So there was me, Julian Dean, Martin Vellets, and a few guys. And like at the first 100k, we were riding long talk and like, yeah, happy days. We'll jump in the car. This would be cool. <laughs> and we got to the second feed zone and they'd gone. And then we're like, no oh. one spoke. We're, <laughs> we're in the traffic. We're stopping at red lights. I was going past taxi ranks thinking, that's a pretty good option right now. Like, how are we going to pay for it? I would have got this rain bag when I got there. <laughs> so I, mean, I, I didn't care at that point. So anyway, we got there. We rode. Was it, what was the weather doing? It was raining too. It did even better. <laughs> it was actually raining. We rode along and then we got, so San Remo is 300k basically. you got 12k's in neutral. So you're 312k in or 15k in. We took a couple of shortcuts. We didn't do the Poggio. We didn't do the suppressor because like, that's irrelevant right now. We need to get home. So we come in. I got to San Remo, obviously pretty dirty that you've been left behind twice. Real dirty. And I'm riding around and I remember one of the quick step managers come up to me. He's like, are you looking for your team bus? I was like, yeah. He goes, oh, they left about 15 minutes oh, ago. No, no way. <laughs> and I was like, you what? And they're like, they left about 10, 15 minutes ago. I was like, and I knew the hotel was like another 10 or 15K past there too. So like, no, not 10, probably 5 or 10K past. So I rode from the finish line to the hotel and I've come in and all the whole setup, you know, the team takes over a hotel. There's like buses and trucks and cars, everything. And I rode in there and Ralph Aldag saw me roll in and he looked at me and he goes, <laughs> and I just jumped off the bike. It's the only time I've really got that angry. I just jumped off the bike at about 25K an hour and just ghosted it into the side of the truck and walked to the hotel front door. I went and had a shower and Aldag come back to my room about 20 minutes later. And he's just this little like on the door and I'm like, didn't say anything. He come in, he's like, he just looked at me and he goes, Sorry. I'm like, I'm like, that's all right. I'm going home with the Saxo Bank guys tonight. And I got the car to go back to, the, to Monaco with the Saxo Bank dudes. That is the pinnacle of a war story. That is the best, one of the best, if not the best war story I've had from you um, or I had on the, on the podcast. Let's go to the last topic about you, BWS. Beer, wine or spirits? What's your poison of choice? One. Don't give me the whole no, turbo wine. to get all wine. Wine? Wine, yeah. I'm not really a spirits person. No. Don't get me wrong, at the end of uh, a long day, how good's a beer? But yeah, no wine. Nice. What coffee do you drink? You a cappuccino man, you like to work through, start with cappuccino, work to espressos, you're a filter man. What a coffee? Oh, I'm a bit bit of a weird one with that. I don't like milk. So right. I've been the, the long blacky type of side of things, but my latest fad's a almond piccolo. Right. That's a bit snobby, isn't it? Didn't see that coming, <laughs> I have to admit. Favourite cross-training exercise? So something that's not cycling, what do you like to do? I don't know if you can call it training, but I like to play golf. Nice, that, I like it. I, actually, I, it was the first time I sent a few mates a picture. It's the first time I come to Till Down Under and I packed my golf clubs and sent some mates a picture. I'm like, this is not normal. So I bought my golf clubs over here. So I've played 54 holes of golf in the last week. <laughs> Best thing about riding a bike? The freedom. The freedom and, you know, as much as it's a physical thing, it's a mental thing. You can go and chat to your mates. You can talk to people. And at the end of the day, you always know there's a coffee shop where you're going to finish. And yeah, 100% think it, it, it is that mental thing with, you know, you go out with friends, you go out with people you enjoy riding with and you talk to people about, you know, you're out there for hours. So you don't talk about what you did last night. You talk about yourself and what's going on and how you are. And I love the freedom of being able to go out a bike and ride somewhere. The, the social side of it that is you know, very important to everyone. Always entertaining, isn't it? Talking Luft, 
How did you enjoy it? The old format. As I said last week, we're going to do 12 Talking Wolves this year, one a month, running right up to Christmas. And they're going to be a bit different. You heard Communique last month as a Talking Wolf. This was a normal, original sort of style Talking Wolf. Next week, we'll have something different again. I'm just trying to mix it up, get some different stuff in there for you guys, but all around the same thing. Talking Wolves, whatever that means, talking crap, I don't know, style interesting stuff i'm just trying to mix it up for you guys and get some interesting stories out there big thanks goes out to will jones who puts these episodes together meg behind the scenes at life in the peloton of course last but not least our partner in the podcast rafa loving working with these guys and of course you guys for listening next week i've got a great episode it's called how to be a ds and what happened was i was asked to be a director sportive at the national championships here in Australia, but I didn't really know how to do it. So I went away and I spoke to a few people that I knew that were directors out there already, got some advice from them, and then went into the car and did the race. Of course, I recorded everything and that documented that story. So guys, that's gonna be the episode next week. It's a bit of fun. I didn't know what I was doing, but I'm gonna bring that to you next week. Until then guys, I'm Mitch Docker and cheers. The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Cheers, mate.